Um, and I, and I, I read a book called Wisdom That Works, and in it, it describes the, the, uh, the book of Proverbs as practical help for, from God for weak people like us stumbling daily through life. Ain't that the truth, huh? No matter what we deal with in life, Joey earlier prayed for somebody's son, I take it, for infirmities, for financial issues. No matter what we face in life, the, probably, the Proverbs probably shed light on those things, right? It's God's practical advice on life. Therefore, we should always be in the Proverbs. And I think that's why God has given us 31 of them, right? So that we can have one for every day of the month. And therefore, today we're going to be looking at Proverbs 30th, because today is the 30th. So if you've got a Bible, pop it open to the middle of the, of the Bible and make your way to, to the 30th Proverb. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, um, and we'll make sure that we get you one, because we want you to follow along. This is a, a Bible teaching church, and, and uh, we're blessed that you can hear the word, receive it like the Bereans, but then go home and say, let me make sure these guys are, 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 are right on. You know, and so we, we pray that we are. So, as you're, you're making your way uh, to there, I'm going to go ahead and read uh, the first verse, which is basically the introduction. We're basically told who is the writer of, of this proverb. Uh, the words of uh, Agur, the son of Jaka, his utterance, this man declared to Ithiel, to Ithiel and Yukal. Now, most of you know that most of the proverbs were written by Solomon, right? Most of the problems were written by Solomon, but here we see that it's this guy named Agur. And, and all we know about this guy named Agur is found in this particular verse, in this chapter. He, he introduces himself as a son of Jaki. Perhaps Agur was a public teacher, some think, and Ithiel and Yukal were his pupils, but we don't really know. And, and this was the Masa, or, or the oracle, which that's what it means, which he delivered. But we know that it wasn't by his wisdom, right, but it was by the Holy Spirit. Verse 2 and 3 says, Surely I am more stupid than any man and do not have the understanding of a man. I neither learn wisdom nor have knowledge of the Holy One. You know, it's been said that if one wanted to impart wisdom, it would be wise that they give their qualifications, right? If I wanted to come up here and, you know, as a professor teach you something, I would have to say, well, I'm coming from East L.A., ELAC or Harvard or <laughs> wherever, right? Uh, but... With, with Agur, we see the opposite. He, he doesn't say, I was trained here, or I experienced this, or I know this, or I know that. He says, I'm the most stupidest man alive. I don't have the basic understanding. I don't possess wisdom or knowledge of God. Well, then let's go home, right? Let's go home because why would we want to listen to such a man? Well, a couple of things. First thing is 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 tells us what? It tells us that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, right? For reproof, for doctrine, for instruction, for instruction in righteousness, that the person of God would be complete, thoroughly equipped for every work. And so the last time I heard all means all, right? And so I, I have to believe that I'm going to be blessed by even this man, who the second thing I want to point out is kind of refreshing, because I think Agur's admittance, is, it's rather refreshing because it takes wisdom to be able to admit that we really don't know too much, you know. We don't, we don't know all that much. Someone says we know enough to be dangerous. And, and that's the truth. We don't know too much, even more so when it comes to God. 
All we know is what he's chosen to reveal to us, right? And I really like his approach because if we, if we do it from our human approach, if we try to understand God, God from, from where we're at, from, from our, our finite minds, then we're never going to get there. It takes the supernatural to deliver the supernatural. And so I like that. To me, it's refreshing that he's saying, look, I don't know anything. I'm kind of dumb. I don't know nothing. I don't have any knowledge. The only knowledge that we have is what God has chosen to reveal to us through his word. And in the case of Proverbs 30, the Holy Spirit has revealed nuggets of wisdom. Number four, verse four says, Who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is the son's name, if you know? Agur here makes the case for his lack of knowledge of God by asking a series of questions that only have one answer, right? God. That's the only answer. He also proves that he's been given the gift of foresight because notice that he talks about the son of God. He says, who is this God? And who is his son? Well, we know the answer to that, right? We know the father's name is Jehovah and the son's name is Jesus. But it's it's interesting because the commentators were saying that we should consider the fact that the Jews were adamant that God was one. They used to pray the, the I think it's pronounced the Shema or the Shema or I don't know how to say it with that accent, but you know what I mean. And that prayer is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And it's just incredible that the mention of the Son of God would be in here in the Proverbs. The uh, ESV study Bible says that uh, Agur asked a series of rhetorical questions meant to indicate the limitations of human perception and achievement. And I just thank God that he chose to reveal himself to us, right? He chose to reveal himself to me, to you, through his word. His word has been scrutinized, and yet it's never been refuted. Never. It's been through, put through the test, and it's, it's never been proven to be wrong, because it can't. It's the truth. Why? Well, look at our next verse, verse 5. It says, every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. And I like that. I like that it says every, God of, every word of God is pure. Not, not just some of God's word, you notice? It says all of God's word is pure. All of it. His word is, is, is tried, it's tested, and it's passed the test, right? Psalm 12, 6 says, the, word of the, Lord, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. His word is pure, and he's our shield. In Genesis 15, 1, if you remember, God is telling Abraham when he was still Abram, not to be afraid. Why? For he, God, was his shield. He's our shield. Second Samuel kind of hits on both of them because it says in 22:31, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven pure. He is a shield to all who trust in him. God's word is pure, tried and tested. And he's a shield to those who put their trust in him. Because that's what it says, right? That's what his word says, and, and that's the truth. And we should let his word speak for itself. Because that's what our next verse is saying. Look at verse 6. It says, do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you, and you be found a liar. Have you ever had someone misquote you? 
you tell someone something, and by the time it makes its way back to you, here at church we call it the, what, the grace vine, right? It's totally different than what you first said. It's totally different, you know, and, and we shouldn't misquote anybody, but especially God's word, especially God's word. Some people don't know their Bibles. They don't know the Bible. They don't know the context of, of what God is saying in his word. So instead of studying and learning what God really means, they just add their own meaning to it. Lazy, right? Laziness. Second Timothy 2.15, you guys know that verse. What does it say? Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God. We're not to be lazy with this word. Some people add to his word in their explanation of the Bible, trying to make it more excited, trying to make it more applicable into into this world, trying to make it acceptable instead of us kind of submitting to the word of God. And I like the, 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 the quote that Charles Spurgeon uh, was quoted as saying. He says, the gospel is like a caged lion. It doesn't need to be defended. All it needs is to be released out of its cage. And so what does that say? That says that all we got to do is just got to let God's word go forth. We don't got to put a ribbon on it. We don't got to explain it. We don't got to try to, you know, coddle people with it. We don't have to do anything. We just have to give his word. Isaiah says that his word will not return void. And so therefore we should not be lazy with his word and we should not be trying to, to put a ribbon on his word. We should just give it. Other people try to misquote his word or use his word out of context in order to it, for it to fit into a man-made religion or, or, or a cult, right? Let's face it. They take his word out of context. They change it so that now it could, it could fit what their founders said, God said. We shouldn't do that. We shouldn't do that. And worse yet, there's, there's people that, that twist his word for financial reasons. There's people that... Tr- Twist his word for money. They, they tickle the ears and they take his word out of context so they can, they can hear the word kaching, right? And that's sad. That is sad. Ah. Again, I, my pastor's not here, so I, I got a lot of liberty. Any of you guys that watch TBN, be careful. Be careful. And if I go to your house and I see you watching, I'm going to turn it off and kick your TV. Because you got to be careful with the teaching there. If you got a guy in a suit that's worth $2,000 and underneath it it's just call and send $100 and you'll get 1000 back, be careful. Be careful. You know, there's too many people that are out there peddling his word. And we're not to do that. That's why it says, do not add to his words lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. God warns us, right? In Deuteronomy 4.2, you can look that up yourself. Or Deuteronomy 12.32, he says, don't add. Don't add to my commandments. In fact, in Revelation 22.19, God promises a plague if we do. For I testify, it says, to everyone who hears the word of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that were written in the book. If you know the plagues that were written in the book of Revelation, you do not want those plagues. We're not to add to his word. We shouldn't twist God's words because of our laziness or try to back it up to back up a man's claim or for money. We shouldn't do that. We should let God's word go forward. Speaking of money, let's move on. Because I've always found these, these next verses interesting. And I heard a pastor who 
I respect. Kind of give out a challenge to, to people to prayer, to pray this prayer that we're going to read right now. Specifically the second part of verse 8 and all of verse 9. But let's read 7 through, through 9. It says, the two things I request of you, depriving not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. Agur moves from the contemplation of God's word to pray. And it's interesting because this is the only prayer found in the entire book of Proverbs. This is the only time you're going to see prayer. And so we see that he has two requests, right, of God. Before you're done with me, Lord, take falsehood, vanity, and lies far away from me. These, these two words could be cousins, right, because they're so closely related. What is vanity? Vanity is emptiness, it's nothingness, it's worthlessness. And then what is lying? Lying, it's speech of empty, empty of the truth. It's anything but the truth, it's, it's worthlessness. Psalm 119.29 says, Remove from me the way of lying. And then we know what the Bible says, right? The Bible says that lying is from the devil, for he is the father of what? Of all lies. Find that in John. John 8.44. Essentially what he's saying is, Remove vanity and lies far from my mouth and my heart, Lord. But he's also saying, Keep me as far as possible from those who tell lies and are vain. 1 Corinthians 15.33 tells us, Do not be deceived, evil company corrupts. Good habits, right? Good habits. He's saying, take it from me, God. Take, take lies, take vanity from me. But also remove me. Remove me far away from it. His next supplication is fascinating to me, guys. Because in a nutshell, Agur is asking for something most people, but especially Americans, are asking the opposite for. Did you guys pick up on it? Look what it says, starting with the second part of verse 8. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. What is he asking for there in that prayer? In a nutshell, he's asking God to keep him paycheck to paycheck. Right? He said, don't give me too much or I'm going to forget your name. And then don't give me too little or I'm going to have to go disgrace your name. And still, Lord, just give me enough. Give me exactly what I need. Not any less, not any more. And when I read this, I thought, man, this prayer is so profound. I just thought, Lord, what is it saying? Lord, if you fill my table with delicacies, if you fill my barns with gold, then I'm afraid that I'm going to believe the lie that I was able to do all of it. Don't let me believe that lie. Don't give me too much or I'm going to forget your name. We know what happens, right? Someone hits a lot on what happens. That's it. You don't see them anymore. Right? They go crazy. They end up on a reality show or something. You know? Money has a funny way of, of, of doing things to people. And that's what he's saying. He says, don't give me too much. I might be blinded with the excess. In Deuteronomy 6, remember Moses is talking to, to the Jews, he's talking to the Israelites, and he's talking to them about the one day crossing over to the, to the land of milk and honey. Right? In verse 10 he says, you're, you're going to get large cities that you didn't build. 
In verse 11, he says, you're going to get homes in Arcadia that you did not deserve. You're going to get them furnished. And you didn't buy any of it. You're going to get wells that you didn't dig for. You're going to get vineyards that you didn't plant for. And then he gives them a warning, right? He gives them a warning. He says, when you're full, be careful. Be careful that you do not forget your God who not only freed you from Egypt, but also gave you all these things. Be careful. We need to thank God for everything, guys. I was privileged to go to a funeral today of a sister who lost her father from this congregation. And the pastor that was speaking about her father was just, man, he'd known him for over 40 years. It was his pastor. And he just said, you know, over the 40 years that I've known him, I've never heard this man complain. He's never once come up to me and asked me for prayer over finances. I've never heard him once complain about being sick, about anything. He was just happy. He was content. This pastor was an old pastor. He was in his 70s, and he was standing up with the help of a cane, you know, and he says, we should thank God for everything. And he says, you see my partner here? And he picked up his cane. He said, I thank God for him because I'm able to stand. We should thank God for everything. And that's, I think, the essence of, of what he's saying. Don't give me too much because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to forget you, God. On the flip side of it, this is when one feels that, man, things are just too much, too big of a burden, you know. The hunger, the needs can really cause one to take matters into their own hands, right? We, we, we forget that God says, I'm your provider, I'm your pastor, you shall not want. And we say, God, I got to do something. I got to go take that other job. I got to do this, I got to do that. I got to work overtime, Lord. Never mind my family that I don't see. You know, and we forget. We forget that God is our provider, Either way, by forgetting God with the, with the excess or, or by not trusting Him and taking matters into our hands, we do what? We sin, right? We sin because the Bible says that anything that is not done in faith is a sin. And so we, we can't do that. We gotta thank God and we gotta trust God. A gore pleased with the Lord, just give me paycheck to paycheck. I dare you guys to pray that prayer. Paycheck to paycheck, Lord. Moving on, look at verse 10. It says, Do not malign a servant to his master, lest he curse you and you be found guilty. Pretty straightforward, right? Agur warns those who malign or slander a servant to his master to be careful. Be careful who you talk about. Because why? You could do serious damage to someone's reputation. And usually someone's reputation is tied into what? Into their livelihood, right? And so we got to be careful. It's better if we face that individual face-to-face as opposed to slandering them and we see that unfortunately we see that within the church and it's even more wicked when you see it within the church because man we're a body we're a family we shouldn't see that there shouldn't be any slander but you know me having the privilege of being in the ministry i see it and it's unfortunate it's better to face the individual it's better to go up to that person and say can we talk can we pray and deal with it hash it out deal with it than to slander somebody and that's what he's saying it's wicked. Slander is wicked. And Agur is saying, God is a defender of the oppressed. Be careful. Be careful. 
Now, look, we're going we're gonna to get into a cluster of verses. I'm going to read 11 through 17, so I hope you can follow along with these. It says, There is a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. There is a generation that is pure in its own eyes, yet it's not washed from its filthiness. Verse 13, There is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes, and their eyelids are lifted up. There is a generation whose teeth are like swords and whose fangs are like knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. Verse 15, the leech has two daughters, give and give. There are three things that are never satisfied. The the, the proverb author writes, four never say enough. The grave, the barren womb, the earth that is not satisfied with water, and the fire never says enough. And then verse 17, the eye that mocks his father and scorns obedience to his mother, the ravens of the valley will pick it out, and the young eagles will eat it. You know, when I was a kid, I, I used to hear older people complain about the generation. And I didn't really like it because I was the generation they were complaining about, right? They would say things like, man, these kids today, man, this generation of today, they're just getting worse and worse. And to be honest with you, I don't mean to be rude, but I just kind of chalked it up to like old people talk, you know? Ah, just, that's just what happens when you get older. But now I find myself old enough to be able to see the wisdom in that, man. To be able to see that they were right in those comments. As, as we go through the end of time, as we're in the end of time, society is headed down a moral spiral, right? I mean, we can see it now. We can see how bad things are getting. And you know what? The younger generation, they're serving as the anchor. Why? Because the devil knows, I'm going to go and get the young. You know, whenever you've seen the animal planet or whatever on cable, and you see these lions going after these elephants, who's the one that they get? They get the young ones, right? The weak ones. And that's what the devil's doing. He's, he's preying on the youngsters' minds. What do we see here? We see disrespectful to parents and to the elderly. What happened? What happened to our country? There was a time where we revered, where we respected those that were older, especially our parents. We don't see that anymore. We see pride and self-deceived. We see sinful and unregenerate. We see vengeful and mean. We see someone that is never satisfied. They're headed to hell in a handbasket, right? Having access to the grace offered in Jesus, yet mocking him and ignoring the signs. And I was thinking, you know, that's that's the sin that might be their doom. You know, because remember in Matthew 12, when Jesus says, you can blaspheme my name all you want. You can talk about me all you want. That, that I'll forgive you. But don't blaspheme the name of the Holy Spirit. What was Jesus saying there? He was saying, don't, don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit that is convicting you, that is calling you to me, that is drawing you to me. And yet now more and more and more we see this generation just kind of putting God to the side, ignoring him, mocking him. And that might be their doom, right? This generation the author was writing about in our generation, as well as the generation to come, will always have the promise of forgiveness because God is merciful. But I, I, I heard it said one day, God always promises us forgiveness. He just doesn't promise us tomorrow. And I think tomorrow is going to take many, many people to hell. We've got to pray for this generation. We've got to pray for our youth. We've got to pray that they would see the light in it. In it. It takes an act of God, right? Because we know that it's God who opened up our eyes. But it's also self-will. It's wanting our eyes to be open. And so we got to pray for that. Look at verses 18 and 19. 
It says, these are, these are three things which are too wonderful for me. Yes, four which I do not understand. Verse 19, the way of an eagle in the air, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship in the midst of the sea, and the way of a man with a virgin. Agur appears to be blown away by the intricacies of God's creation, right? The majestic eagle. I mean, you see an eagle in the sky and it's just, it just blows your mind away. You just how beautiful it is. You see the, the movement on, on the serpent, even though we don't tend to like serpents, right? Because you remind us of somebody. As he glides to the rock and you're just amazed by its ability. You, you see the finesse of how ships or, or perhaps maybe it means the sea life, how they navigate, navigate through the ocean. It's amazing what God was able to do. And then the tenderness of a man and his wife to be, right? Which I believe that's what it means, courtship, as one commentator put it. And then look at 20, verse 20. This is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wickedness. Now, if you're familiar with the Proverbs, they tend to warn us repeatedly against who? Against the adulterous woman, right? That's why it's important that all of us be in the Bible, but especially us men, especially us married men. We've got to be in the Proverbs every day to remind us of this, to remind us that we've got to be faithful to our wives. We need to be in the Proverbs. But this proverb, I mean, let's face it, it kind of just, it's just there, right? I mean, all of a sudden you just kind of bust it out with the adulterous woman. You're like, how, how did this happen? But it's there for a reason, guys. It's, it's here to show the audacity of this woman who's married or knows that the man she's messing with is married and yet still doesn't even have the slightest conscience to think that it's wrong. It says she wipes her mouth and says, well, what have I done? I haven't done anything wrong. It's, it's wickedness. Look at the next three verses because they're interesting because they seem to share the common sense that certain things don't go together. Right? And when we see them, it kind of, it kind of disturbs us. Verses 21 through 23. For three things the earth is perturbed. Yes, for four it cannot bear up. For a servant when he reigns, a fool when he's filled with food, a hateful woman when she's married. Amen. And a maidservant who succeeds her mistress. A servant's job is to reign. No, right? A servant's job is to serve. This hits home to me because I'm, I get the privilege of serving in the ministry. And so my job, God's will for me is to serve, right? Not to reign. It's to serve people. That should be our heart. We should be servants. The Bible says that you should care about the other person more than you care for yourself. A servant who isn't serving is not a servant. Number two, a fool. A fool who is full with food. Now, you expect someone who's a fool to struggle, right? That just, that just kind of makes common sense. Someone's a fool, they're going to struggle. But we know that's not like that in life, right? We see some people that are straight out fools. And yet, man, it seems like everything's going right for them. They have their health. They have their family. They got the job. They got the home. That doesn't fit. <laughs> but we know that in the end, they're going to have to face the judge. And so we know that that, that day will come. And then it says, a hateful woman when she's married, because you say, poor husband. No, I'm just kidding. Not really. But. Now, what I believe the writer means is that marriage is and was and, and always will be a blessing, right? And if it's done right, a hateful woman just doesn't fit in it. A hateful woman doesn't fit in a marriage. 
it, it's a blessed union, and 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 we should both bless each other, the husband and and the wife. It smells bad if there's a hateful woman involved in a marriage. The proverb reminds us of of this constantly, right? It says it's better to to sleep on the roof than to sleep or live in a house where there's a contentious woman. Amen. You know? And number four, lastly, a maidservant who succeeds your mistress. Again, following the fact that marriage is a commitment, it's a blessing in life, it, it isn't right for the maidservant to become her boss's wife, right? It just these things just don't fit, and that's what that's what the author is saying. Normal roles shouldn't be turned on their face. And yet, I mean, we just went through this whole Chick-fil-A thing, right? Someone says, yeah, I think that um, a marriage should be between a man and a wife, and he like, gets stoned for it. What happened? It, it, we've come to that place in society, guys, where evil is called good and good is called evil. Things are, have been flipped and they've been turned on their side. That's where we're at. The next bunch of verses are really, really cool because it reminds me of, of the verse in 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven that says that God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound those that are strong, right? He uses the weak to make those who think they're lofty scratch their heads and wonder, well, how did that happen? Look at verses 24 through 28. There are four things which are little on the earth, but they're exceedingly wise. The ants are people, not strong, yet they prepare their food in the summer. The rock badgers are a feeble folk, yet they make their homes in the crags. The locusts have no king, yet they all advance in ranks. Verse 28, the spider skillfully grasps with his hands, and it is in king's palaces. These four creatures are an afterthought to us, right? We don't really think about the ant that much unless they're like invading our kitchen. <laughs> you know, they're an afterthought to us, man. We step on them, right? And yet they carry out their work. All these, all these creatures, they carry out their work with such efficiency compared to us sometimes. You ever see the ants scurrying around? Brother Ed has a big old ant right here. I think I seen a video of when Pastor Manny went to Chile and he has a video where these ants are carrying like a tree and stuff, you know? They're efficient. They're, they're, they just, they, they get the job done. What about the, the, the rock badgers? These little weak looking guinea pigs. I had to look them up to be honest with you. Yet they survive and make their homes in the rocks, it says. Or the locust, a bug, okay, a bug that has no one on the throne, yet they have enough sense to unite themselves and fall under rank. And we all want to be bosses sometimes. The spider that can be crushed by a foot has the ability to travel everywhere he wants, including the king's palace. Yet we, as smart as we think we are sometimes, find it difficult to read our Bibles. We find it difficult to pray. It's hard for us to go to fellowship unless there's food. Right? It's too hot. I don't want to go to church today. It's too hot. It's raining. You see that thunder and the lightning? Come on, man. The ants are doing their job right now. Let's work. Let's do the things that God has called us to do. So we go from the tiny, which we find amazing, to the majestic and impressive that strut. They got swagger, I like to call it. Look at verses 29 through 31. There are three things which are majestic in pace. Yes, four which are stately in walk. A lion, 
which is mighty among the beasts and does not turn away from any, a greyhound, a male goat also, and a king whose troops are with him. I like the way the NIV translates the opening verse. It says, there are three things that are stately in their stride, four that move with stately bearing. A lion. Now, we know a lion, right? We see a lion and that guy. Lions are cool. Have you seen a lion walk? You're not rushing for nothing. You don't have to, right? He's just kind of strutting, walking, you know. But man, when he wants to attack, boy, does he, right? And then a greyhound. I, I thought this was funny because I used to travel with my grandma when I was a little kid on the greyhound bus. How many of you remember the greyhound bus? Is there still a greyhound bus around? Okay, all right. I used to travel on the greyhound. And, you know, they call the greyhound the fastest dog on the world. But I thought it was the slowest dog on the world because after four hours on that greyhound, man, you wanted to get off, right? But yet we know that it's the fastest dog. I mean, the, the, the legs, the, the, the length of its legs allow it to run. It's just, it's majestic. It's considered one of the fastest dogs in the world. The male goat. I don't get this. Maybe it's an Israel thing. I don't get it. But I, I guess it's because it's responsible for all the sheep, right? It's the head of the flock. And so it was majestic as, it, as it's leading the flock. And then lastly, the king. The king who has his troops behind him who the military supports. That is someone that's majestic. A good king, right? Like someone like King David. Not like Saul, but like someone like King David. Boy, man, when they have their army behind them, they're definitely impressive. And so we come to close with our last two verses, and some of you are saying, all right, I get to go in my car with AC. But verse 32 says, if you've been foolish in exalting yourself, or if you devise evil, put your hand on your mouth. For as the churning of milk produces butter, and wringing the nose produces blood, so the forcing of wrath produces strife. I like what the believer's commentary had to say about these last two closing verses, because I myself, when I read them, I thought, man, it's kind of strange to end on this note, you know? And this is what it said. It says, the chapter closes with two verses that seem strangely unrelated to what has preceded. It's true. A commentator put it this way, if feeble man in his foolishness has lifted up himself against God or even indulged hard thoughts on him, let him listen to the voice of wisdom and lay his hands upon his mouth. For otherwise, there will be a result as surely as there is a result when milk is churned, when the nose is wrung, or when anger is excited. We don't want to mess with the Lord, right? The Bible says, don't be afraid of man who can take you out and send you to Rose Hills. Be afraid of the one that can send you to Rose Hills and put your soul in hell. That's who we're to be afraid of, right? Perhaps a juror added these closing verses, like the commentator said, right? If, if in any way anyone might be questioning God or, or, or casting them to the side, saying, oh, I'll, I'll talk to you later, Lord, as if that's possible, right? Beware. Beware. Because you're bringing wrath on yourself and it isn't going to be pretty. Let's listen to wisdom, guys. Let's, let's listen to wisdom, the wisdom of God. Don't let pride, don't let self-will, don't let laziness, don't let unbelief keep you from the wisdom that God wants to give you. The Bible describes two wisdoms, right? The wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. We need to listen to the wisdom of God. Let's spend time in the Word of God. Let's spend time in the Proverbs. 
Proverbs 1.20, I love it because it says, Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voices in the open square. God wants us to hear His voice. He wants us to read His Word as a, as a map for our life so that we don't get into all these messes that we get ourselves into. And the Proverbs, the Proverbs will help. Okay? So God wants to speak. Let's listen. Let's listen to Him. Amen? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just want to thank you so much, God, that, Lord, you would allow me to, to be up here and, and open up your word, Lord. I know who I am, God. I'm a, I'm a filthy sinner, Lord. And yet at the same time, God, um, I believe what your word says, Lord, that, Lord, if I'm in you, God, I'm a new creation, Lord. And, uh, Lord, you use the weak to confound the strong, Lord. And so I know I fit that bill. And, I just pray that in no way I would have gotten in the way of your word, Lord. I pray that your word would go forth, Lord, and, and it would speak to every single one of us, Lord, that we wouldn't just think by hearing it that now we've done it, but that we would actually do it, Lord. And so help us, God. Help us to have the wisdom that you want to give us through your word, especially through the Proverbs, Lord. We thank you for this night. We thank you that we're going to get to sing another song, Lord. And we just ask for traveling mercies, Lord, as we go home. Be with us, Father, always. We love you and we thank you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Let's all stand together.